appendix part twenty of the world as will and idea volume two by arthur schopenhauer translated by r b haldane and j kemp this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine appendix criticism of the kantian philosophy part twenty even if we assume that every reason must or at least can attain to the conception of god even without revelation this clearly takes place only under the guidance of causality this is so evident that it requires no proof therefore christian wolf says in cosmologia generalis preface page one sane in theologia naturali existentiam numinis e principiis cosmologicis demonstramus contingentia universi et ordinis naturae una cum impossibilitate casus sunt scala per quam a mundo hoc ad spectabili ad deum ascenditur and before him leibnitz said in connection with the law of causality son ce grand principe on ne saurait venir à la preuve de l'existence de dieu on the other hand the thought which is worked out in this chapter is so far from being essential and necessary to reason that it is rather to be regarded as a veritable masterpiece of the monstrous productions of an age which through strange circumstances fell into the most singular aberrations and perversities such as the age of the scholastics was an age which is unparalleled in the history of the world and can never return again this scholasticism as it advanced to its final form certainly derived the principal proof of the existence of god from the conception of the end realissimum and only then used the other proofs as accessory this however is mere methodology and proves nothing as to the origin of theology in the human mind kant has here taken the procedure of scholasticism for that of reason a mistake which indeed he has made more than once if it were true that according to the essential laws of reason the idea of god proceeds from the disjunctive syllogism under the form of an idea of the most real being this idea would also have existed in the philosophy of antiquity but of the ens realissimum there is nowhere a trace in any of the ancient philosophers although some of them certainly teach that there is a creator of the world yet only as the giver of form to the matter which exists without him demiurgos a being whom they yet infer simply and solely in accordance with the law of causality it is true that sextus empiricus adversus mathematicos chapter nine section eighty eight quotes an argument of cleanthes which some have held to be the ontological proof this however it is not but merely an inference from analogy because experience teaches that upon earth one being is always better than another and man indeed as the best closes the series but yet has many faults therefore there must exist beings who are still better and finally one being who is best of all kratiston ariston and this would be god on the detailed refutation of speculative theology which now follows i have only briefly to remark that it and in general the whole criticism of the three so-called ideas of reason 
thus the whole dialectic of pure reason is indeed to a certain extent the goal and end of the whole work yet this polemical part has not really an absolutely universal permanent and purely philosophical interest such as is possessed by the preceding doctrinal part that is the aesthetic and analytic but rather a temporary and local interest because it stands in a special relation to the leading points of the philosophy which prevailed in europe up till the time of kant the complete overthrow of which was yet to his immortal credit achieved by him through this polemic he has eliminated theism from philosophy for in it as a science and not a system of faith only that can find a place which is either empirically given or established by valid proofs naturally we only mean here the real seriously understood philosophy which is concerned with the truth and nothing else and by no means the jest of philosophy taught in the universities in which after kant as before him speculative theology plays the principal part and where also after as before him the soul appears without ceremony as a familiar person for it is the philosophy endowed with salaries and fees and indeed also with titles of hofraf which looking proudly down from its height remains for forty years entirely unaware of the existence of little people like me and would be thoroughly glad to be rid of the old kant with his critiques that they might drink the health of leibnitz with all their hearts it is further to be remarked here that as kant was confessedly led to his doctrine of the a priori nature of the conception of causality by hume's scepticism with regard to that conception it may be that in the same way kant's criticism of all speculative theology had its occasion in hume's criticism of all popular theology which he had given in his natural history of religion a book so well worth reading and in the dialogues on natural religion indeed it may be that kant wished to a certain extent to supplement this for the first-named work of hume is really a critique of popular theology the pitiable condition of which it seeks to show while on the other hand it points to rational or speculative theology as the genuine and that which is worthy of respect but kant now discloses the groundlessness of the latter and leaves on the other hand popular theology untouched nay even establishes it in a nobler form as a faith based upon moral feeling this was afterwards distorted by the philosophasters into rational apprehensions consciousness of god or intellectual intuitions of the supersensible of the divine etc etc while kant as he demolished old and revered errors and knew the danger of doing so rather wished through the moral theology merely to substitute a few weak temporary supports so that the ruin might not fall on him but that he might have time to escape now as regards the performance of the task no critique of reason was necessary for the refutation of the ontological proof of the existence of god for without presupposing the aesthetic and analytic it is quite easy to make clear that that ontological proof is nothing but a subtle playing with conceptions which is quite powerless to produce conviction there is a chapter in the organon of aristotle which suffices as fully for the refutation of the ontological proof as if it had been written intentionally with that purpose it is the seventh chapter of the seventh book 
of analytica posteriora among other things it is expressly said there tode enai uc usia udeni that is existentia nunquam ad essentiam re pertinet the refutation of the cosmological proof is an application to a given case of the doctrine of the critique as expounded up to that point and there is nothing to be said against it the physico-theological proof is a mere amplification of the cosmological which it presupposes and it finds its full refutation only in the critique of judgment i refer the reader in this connection to the rubric comparative anatomy in my work on the will in nature in the criticism of this proof kant has only to do as we have already said with speculative theology and limits himself to the school if on the contrary he had had life and popular theology also in view he would have been obliged to add a fourth proof to the three he has considered that proof which is really the effective one with the great mass of men and which in kant's technical language it might best be called the chironological it is the proof which is founded upon the needy impotent and dependent condition of man as opposed to natural forces which are infinitely superior inscrutable and for the most part threatening evil to which is added man's natural inclination to personify everything and finally the hope of effecting something by prayers and flattery and even by gifts in every human undertaking there is something which is not in our power and does not come within our calculations the wish to win this for oneself is the origin of the gods primus in orbe deos fecit timor is an old and true saying of petronius it is principally this proof which is criticised by hume who throughout appears as kant's forerunner in the writings referred to above but those whom kant has placed in a position of permanent embarrassment by his criticism of speculative theology are the professors of philosophy salaried by christian governments they dare not give up the chief article of faith now how do these gentlemen help themselves they simply declare that the existence of god is self-evident indeed after the ancient world at the expense of its conscience had worked miracles to prove it and the modern world at the expense of its understanding had brought into the field ontological cosmological and physico-theological proofs to these gentlemen it is self-evident and from this self-evident god they then explain the world that is their philosophy till kant came there was a real dilemma between materialism and theism that is between the assumption that a blind chance or that an intelligence working from without in accordance with purposes and conceptions had brought about the world neque dabatur tertium therefore atheism and materialism were the same hence the doubt whether there really could be an atheist that is a man who really could attribute to blind chance the disposition of nature so full of design especially organized nature see for example bacon's essays sermones fidelis essay sixteen on atheism in the opinion of the great mass of men and of the english who in such things belong entirely to the great mass the mob this is still the case even with their most celebrated men of learning 
one has only to look at owen's osteologie comparie of eighteen fifty five preface page eleven and twelve where he stands always before the old dilemma between democritus and epicurus on the one side and an intelligence on the other in which la connaissance d'un être tel que l'homme a existé avant que l'homme fit son apparition all design must have proceeded from an intelligence he has never even dreamt of doubting this yet in the lecture based upon this now modified preface delivered in the academie des sciences on the fifth september eighteen fifty three he says with childish naivete la teleologie ou la théologie scientifique comptes rendus september eighteen fifty three that is for him precisely the same thing is anything in nature designed then it is a work of intention of reflection of intelligence yet certainly what has such an englishman in the académie de sciences to do with the critique of judgment or indeed with my book upon the will in nature these gentlemen do not see so far below them these illustres confrères disdain metaphysics and the philosophie allemande they confine themselves to the old woman's philosophy the validity of that disjunctive major that dilemma between materialism and theism rests however upon the assumption that the present given world is the world of things in themselves that consequently there is no other order of things than the empirical but after the world and its order had through kant become mere phenomenon the laws of which rest principally upon the forms of our intellect the existence and nature of things and of the world no longer required to be explained according to the analogy of the changes perceived or effected by us in the world nor must that which we comprehend as means and end have necessarily arisen as the consequence of a similar knowledge thus inasmuch as kant through his important distinction between phenomenon and thing in itself withdrew the foundation from theism he opened on the other hand the way to entirely different and more profound explanations of existence in the chapter on the ultimate aim of the natural dialectic of reason it is asserted that the three transcendent ideas are of value as regulative principles for the advancement of the knowledge of nature but kant can barely have been serious in making this assertion at least its opposite that these assumptions are restrictive and fatal to all investigation of nature is to every natural philosopher beyond doubt to test this by an example let any one consider whether the assumption of the soul as an immaterial simple thinking substance would have been necessarily advantageous or in the highest degree impeding to the truths which cabanis has so beautifully expounded or to the discoveries of fleurent marshall hall and christian bell indeed kant himself says in prolegomena section forty four the ideas of the reason are opposed and hindering to the maxims of the rational knowledge of nature it is certainly not the least merit of frederick the great that under his government kant could develop himself and dared to publish the critique of pure reason hardly under any other government would a salaried professor have ventured such a thing kant was obliged to promise the immediate successor of the great king that he would write no more end of appendix part twenty recording by expatriate in bangor maine